And so I wanted to drag you on the show. Thank you so much for joining. I'm very um, happy to be here. I'm a, I'm a big fan of the pod, actually. Oh. <laughs> Many hours walking around Rome listening to to you talking about things that actually happened in places that I was walking around. That's award-winning author and essayist Hari Kunzru, who sat down with the pod for an interview about the legacy of the cultural turn in Italian fascism during the years of lead. Kunzru recently attended an exhibit at Rome's National Gallery of Modern and Contemporary Art dedicated to the subject of Tolkien and the Lord of the Rings. He found that the Tolkien event effectively became a propaganda conquest for Giorgia Meloni and her Fratelli d'Italia party, which is the heir to the fascist Movimento Sociale Italiano. You can read his article in the latest issue of Harper's. In his article, he describes the way that Tolkien became a major part of the identity of the Italian New Right through its relationship with the younger generation of fascist militants emerging in the late 1970s. I talked with him about his experiences and observations in a wide-ranging and fun conversation that I'll share in this episode, interspersed with some facts about the Hobbit camp that features prominently in his discourse. I'll throw the full unedited interview on the Patreon for subscribers. I'm Alexander Reed Ross, and this is the Years of Lead Pod. I've already done an episode in which the first Hobbit camp features prominently. It's called Rauti's Return, if you want to go back and listen to it. But I'll go back into a little bit more detail here to fill in the historical part of this episode before I get to Kunzru's answers. The first Hobbit camp occurred in 1977 in Montesarchio and was very much an effort to crib the kind of festival scene that the autonomous left had set into motion with Parco Lambro the previous year. The Hobbit camp was promoted by Marco Tarchi in his satirical journal, Voice from the Sewer, and organized by Generoso Simeone, a leader of the Movimento Sociale who sided with the alternative to the system faction under Pino Rauti. Scholar Ugo Maria Tassinari wrote the following about the general response to the camp set up in Montesarchio. The press tends to minimize the Hobbit camp, reducing it to a mimicry of the youth proletarian parties, from Lincola to Parco Lambro, which contributed to producing the great movementist wave. Only a few years later, with the emergence of Marco Tarchi's new right and the knowledge of the life stories of the black guerrillas, we will realize that the complex and painful paths of escape from the neo-fascist ghetto unraveled from that down-at-heel festival. In Montesarchi, a strong need for identity, community, expression emerges. Individuals and small groups who live with increasing suffering at the asphyxiated life of the party section, marked by the desperate desire not to surrender to the rampant red hordes, in the sign of an impotent testimony of men standing among the ruins, realize that there are many. And there they begin to aggregate into informal networks that will produce different human and organizational outcomes. Soon to be member of the Nuclei Armati Rivoluzionari, Francesca Mambro was there, recalling debates between the Fuan University Group and the Youth Front Organization. Mambro sided with the Fuan, of course, based in Via Siena in Roma, in insisting for a change to the party line towards more radical socialization policies. 
Remember that this was a year after the Movimento Sociale Italiano's brutal defeat at the polls in 1976, so dissatisfaction prevailed. The camp took up the symbol of the, Chel the Celtic cross, which was only just beginning to enter into usage in the Italian fascist scene. Youth organizer Gianni Alemano in the Rautian Tendency told Nicola Rao, The first Hobbit camp is still very gloomy, hovering between the traditional paramilitary camp and youth festival. The following year, a second Hobbit camp was held after the summer solstice in Abruzzo. It was organized by the Youth Front to counter the successes of the Rautian movement that had seized control of Fuan. But its attendance was quite low, and it felt to many like a return to official MSC business. The event was even filmed for a promotional documentary that would tour the country's MSC youth sections as a recruitment tool. So the final Hobbit camp was held two years later, a lot of compromises going into this, in 1980, attracting the most attendees. However, according to Alemano, who would later be the mayor of Rome, the 1980 Hobbit camp was riven with internal splits between those who, in the new right, were moving towards the national popular current and those who represented the old right wing of the MSE, from which the Ordine Nuovo emerged. These Evolians of the 1950s rejected what they viewed as a left-wing deviation towards socialization and populism. I asked Hari Kunzru about how Tolkien became established and remained current within the Italian fascist movement in the 1970s to today. I mean, I think, I think the thing, there's a very particular history that Tolkien has in Italy that's not quite the same as other places. And that, that explains, I think, a lot of what's happened since and why this show in the National Art Museum is so significant. Like, it, I, I think, you know, I can't remember which mainstream publisher actually turned down Lord of the Rings. They did some sort of uh, um, market research and decided that Italians wanted nothing to do with hobbits. And so the, the publisher that eventually brought out the Lord of the Rings was quite a small publishing house called Rusconi that was associated with sort of esoteric mysticism and the director Alfredo Catabiani was an intellectual who was very interested in the canon of kind of mystical occult fascist writings I mean right back to Joseph Maestra and through sort of Guénon and Julius Evola and various other other kind of uh writers associated with what I suppose you call the perennial philosophy. I think they were also translating Ernst Junger. Um, and also Tolkien kind of dropped into this particular milieu. And so immediately in Italy, he was kind of a cultural property of the, of not just the right, but quite far to the right. And, and so the kind of um, these stories about organic community and the Shire and the, and a kind of rather sort of mechanized and, and, you know, foreign evil the kind of the evil of Sauron in those stories is is very specifically a kind of you know it's got quite a lot to do with machines and the orcs are coded in ways that sort of suggest that they're uh, you know I mean uh, I mean let's say at the very least kind of non non non-white Christian kind of uh uh barbaric force and so 
this idea of, of a kind of defensive Italian tradition and organic community gets gets kind of hooked up with the deeper sort of wiggier end of it where they're talking about Hyperborea and Atlantis and this kind of mystical origins of a of a white race and so by the by the kind of middle of the the 70s reading Tolkien was very much a cultural signifier that you were you were part of the of the 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 right wing youth I mean you've talked about Hobbit the Hobbit camps on the on the podcast you know these um these gatherings that orientated themselves around ideas and uh, uh, drawn from Tolkien and there you know there were slogans like deep roots don't freeze and uh things you know and I mean weirdly to me I mean this sort of self-identification of the Italian right with the hobbits as opposed to I don't know the riders of Rohan or who you whoever you think if you were a kind of macho right right wing kind of culture warrior yeah yeah I mean so but they see them yeah it was always the hobbits they were the kind of put upon shire dwellers who were being invaded from outside and you can see how that maps very perfectly onto the Maloney vision of a kind of anti-immigrant politics so I mean so all these people who are now in their 60s and 70s have a kind of nostalgia for that so 70s moment whereas young sort of Terzepozizioni activists they all they all hung out at the Hobbit camps and and listened to folk music I mean there's this sort of terrible folk band called uh Compagnia dell'Agnello or Agnello the the company of the of the ring which they which was formed at one of the Hobbit camps and which for years and years has been a kind of focal point for right-wing cultural organizing organizing I mean they've got songs about you know time pretty much kind of time to kick out the Jews kind of kind of things it's all about the kind of the usurers and the money lenders and the people who are undermining the society and uh and, and a kind of rhetoric about refusal there's a um you know everybody does this but we don't I think is one of the one of the the oft quoted lyrics so but these guys are quite old now they're there and so there there's a sort of nostalgia it's almost like the kind of putting Tolkien into this cultural institution is a belated victory for who they were when they were you know youngsters in the 20s That's i mean i went i went along to because i mean it's also it's a very split thing there's a kind of hiding your power level aspect to it like the kind of all the public statements are pretty much about like tolkien is for everybody this is a show that you know is is about somebody who's very popular in italy and then they had a a meeting at the um at one of the kind of success I don't know, is it called the Alianza Nazionale one of the kind of embassy successor parties so I went along to that and it was called a tea with Tolkien and the right has all the best seats and there was a there was a panel discussion there with one of the founders of the Hobbit camp um Pina Rauti's daughter who's a senator the curator of the show um and this i mean a, a a sort of near fascist literary critic called Gianfranco de Turris who was one of the big uh, popularizers of Tolkien in the early days also a big Lovecraft guy which kind of connects him to another um strand of 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 right wing aesthetics but they all they all, and, and it was this kind of quite a sort of jolly affair like i mean they let me i sort of sat in the back and and you know didn't 
make a spectacle of myself and listen to them all you know they were more or less like waving to their friends in the crowd and kind of rem reminiscing about the good old days and then had a little moan about there's a new translation of lord of the rings which apparently removes some more some sort of racialized language as a politically correct tolkien has been uh invented and one and one of the speakers was very grumbly about the new amazon tolkien show because there's a black elf in it so here you know, we had 10 minutes about the badness of having a black elf um but mainly it was a sort of my it was a little victory lap and the i mean the curator was sitting there on the stage you know being congratulated for helping them put this together it was you know this is the sort of this is this is the culmination of something that's been going on since the 70s for them right I mean, so, so there are efforts to like put out something of a different translation because the first translation was done by uh, Princess Aliata, right? So, Princess Aliata was uh, is the daughter of Prince Aliata, who um, basically formed a bridge between the Cosa Nostra in Sicily and um, both the Borghese coup and the Rosereventi network. So Prince Aliata was like a really big deal. He actually was the guy who supposedly introduced Stefano Bontate to um, Michele Sindona, thus uh, basically broaching the arrangement that would lead to massive heroin traffic or cocaine trafficking to um, the United States and then money laundering through... Uh, Sindona's like network of shell companies and financial organizations. Well, so, well, she she did some sort of sort of semi like an unofficial translation, as far as I understand it. That that was that was uh, not the translation that Rusconi put out. Like it was circulating already amongst fans and 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 clearly amongst these kind of right wing circles. And then Rusconi got. I don't know if Catabiani did the translation himself. I actually can't remember, but the but there was that translation. But more in the last few years, there's a there's a new publisher, big mainstream publisher, and they've they've tweaked the translation. So, you know, I mean, much in the way that I think. Um, I mean, I actually don't know what the I don't know what the changes are, but there's a sort of grumble that there's some sort of uh, some sort of uh, wokeness has uh, has found its way into their beloved text returning quickly to the development of the appeal of fantasy stories to fascists in italy i wanted to add here that tolkien is only one though perhaps the most important of the fantasy narratives embraced by the italian fascists after the ani di piombo excalibur not sure if you remember that one, but it was big when I was in elementary school was screened by the fascists still recovering from the violence of the years of lead it's a pretty straightforward King Arthur story directed by John Borman in 1981. But of course, there are more big hits with the Italian fascists in the 1990s and early 2000s. Mel Gibson's Braveheart was probably the most exalted by the fascists of the 90s, championed in the words of Nicola Rao for the celebration of the Celtic world, the incitement to defend one's land and to rebel, and for the strong reference to the myth of blood and soil and to the warrior spirit. Gladiator, starring Russell Crowe, is also brought up along with Troy, featuring Brad Pitt. So I asked Kunzru about how the Tolkien myth fits with the present tense of the Italian political scene in light of the past, and his answer actually blew me away. Firstly, I think I had totally memory-holed the fact that Giorgia Meloni is a cosplayer. 
I mean, yeah, because I mean, the, the, the Italian Tolkien is not the same as the Tolkien elsewhere. I mean, you know, I, th- I think it's fair to say that Tolkien's broadly a conservative writer, and but you know, but but this particular kind of cultural history of 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 Tolkien is is unique to Italy. Like, like there's I mean, this uh, women's magazine, Erwin, an anti-feminist women's magazine that. Uh, uh, MSC uh, activists put out in the in the seventies, and I think um, Isabella Rotti, Pina Rotti's daughter, was one of the one of the editors. I mean, I mean, they they chose this name of a of a of a warrior woman from Tolkien to be their to be the the title of their their magazine. You know, I mean, they had a, they had the yin yang as their symbol because you know male principle, female principle, and they had a lot of kind of rhetorical stuff about this is for women who don't want to be men who want to fight alongside their men but in their especially female way I mean I dug up a photo of them all protesting a screening of Pasolini's Salo um and uh and they're all and they're all they're all there it's very funny because they're all quite conservatively dressed they're all these sort of nice girls with their Salo is disgusting posters with yin yang's written on the on the bottom so it's um I mean that was you know that part of the kind of uh aesthetic was was very important and and this is you know young George and Maloney who kind of comes of age in the early 90s falls into this culture this sort of pre-existing culture and she's a big fantasy fan and apparently she cosplays although they seem to have suppressed all the the early pictures of Maloney dressed up as Sam Gamgee, or whatever it was that she was, she was dressed up as. I mean, I was, I, I kind of, and when I, when I first sort of heard about it, I assumed that she'd want to be an elf, but I think, I think actually she might have been a, playing a hobbit, but she had a, she had a blog where she, she used to blog as, uh, um, Kiri, the little dragon of the undernet, and. Um, and she's given the name for the the youth wing of the Fratelli d'Italia is called Atreyu after the the uh, central oh, character yeah. of Never Ending Story, and that's kind of significant in the rhetoric of the whole the whole thing in that they're um, the in the Never Ending Story like the the fight is to save the the land of Fantasia against the nothing, uh, and. Um, and they've got they're very very obsessed with the idea that they're fighting nihilism like when the culture minister opened the Tolkien show this um uh what's his name San Giuliano the culture minister gave this speech about how this is a show that stands against uh it st- talks about community it talks about tradition and it stands against nihilism and so they they see a kind of globalized culture as a as a rootless I suppose in a kind of postmodern way, like, you know, having, you know, having nothing, having no fixed, uh, uh, orientation point. So that's their, that's their fight. They see themselves as defending Italian fantasia against, uh, against the globo nihilists. Yeah. I, but, and that's such, that's such a, a dangerous, I mean, it seems like very wholesome and, 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 and cute, uh, like, this sort of like utopian hobbit shire that we're defending against the multinational corporations and what have you, um, which became very prominent in the fascist analysis, especially in the late 1970s, 
Whereas before then, with Michelini, they were more corporate, sort of oriented. I mean, definitely that third position rhetoric is all over the the, the kind of current way of, of, of talking. Like they're against liberal globalization, they're against communism. So there's a kind of anti yeah, anti global corporation aspect to what they're doing. I mean, they're you know, I I don't think I mean they're they're quite into being respectable now though too. I mean, they're definitely yeah. you know they're no longer interested in this kind of um, the kind of madness that the Tetsu Posizioni people were getting up to in the 70s and 80s but they're but they're uh, still it's a third way very much very much so yeah I wonder how much they're like they're distancing themselves a bit from uh, Forza Nuova right like they don't really want that much to do with Roberto Fiore after I mean especially after the, the Forza Nuova attacked the Cegiella during the COVID protests. And and I think, I mean, I think there's sort of, um, uh, there's there's sort of, it's it's all about containing Salvini as well. I mean, from what I understood from talking to, to Italians who are following the politics is it's important for Maloney to, in order to keep her version of things uh, in the, because I mean, it's a coalition, uh, in, in order to keep herself in the driving seat, she has to squash Salvini and make sure that, uh, that he doesn't he doesn't kind of get too too powerful i mean and then and then you know i, I mean a lot of the the ways that they might want to govern are being muted because they have to work within the framework of the eu as well yeah. so i mean there's only certain ways that they can they can move to to kind of stay within within kind of eu agreements and so for so in some ways it's it's it you know, on an everyday level, you kind of forget how extreme the government actually is because, in, you know, it's it's not it's not actually necessarily like able to kind of do a full throated kind of uh, Trump style agenda. Yeah, I it's, it's, you mentioned nihilism like as something that they're fighting, but I think your article kind of plays with this concept in approaching their own kind of strangeness and the way that they are sort of relating to reality and i'm just trying to find my bearings in terms of like how to really conceptualize or process like such awkward you know uh, expropriations in a sense of of you know literature and culture i mean there's this i mean i i feel that the I mean, from what I can understand, you know, this isn't this is an area isn't an area I'm expert in, but this this long tradition of of secret societies and a kind of right wing occultism, and a sort of sense that there are, uh, you know, there's a small number of initiates who have a particular destiny and who are who are rule who are sort of destined to govern. That there's that sort of strand of thinking. So there's a kind of inner circle who have access to the ancient mysteries of Hyperborea. Or whatever, and then everybody else will, will be in a kind of traditionally fascist way, expected to be kind of organised and marshalled for production, and 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 they will go along with it. And there, in return, they'll receive the pleasures of mass action and organic community and belonging and all the things that traditionally fascist formations have have offered people. But there's a there's definitely, uh, I, I mean, some some kind of way that this this um 
the sort of psychological structure of fantasy fiction feeds into this like you know if 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 the if ultimately it's all about being the chosen one you know so many fantasy stories especially kind of YA stories are about the discovery of powers and the discovery of ancient knowledge and the discovery that you you know though you grew up as an ordinary peasant boy you discover that you know you have you know your the destiny and the, the kind of fate of the world uh um you know it lies on your on your shoulders and there's that kind of personal drama that i think certainly for the senior politicians i feel that they're sort of enacting that they can get very quickly into quite kind of windy destiny history uh you know fighting the evil kind of rhetoric when you know all anybody wants is like slightly more efficient public transport <laughs> right ah uh, i mean yeah yeah this is kind of like their their you know tendency that their moment right it's their moment uh but they were already they were such a I mean, yeah they were such a fringe kind of party in if you want to talk about like the mainstream italian electorate before covid and it's really kind of covid that got them there you know and it's just so weird i i mean I wonder, like, in if you've observed the the, the democratic opposition to the Fratelli d'Italia, Fratelli d'Italia, like actually engaging in any way in this sort of contest for cultural hegemony, or are they just kind of doing this themselves, and everybody's just kind of? I mean, I I I feel like it's it's that a lot of the kind of cultural people, like I was talking to, sort of someone who runs the Prada Foundation, for example, like the kind of, the, the sort of big cultural organizer, they just find it kind of crass and distasteful. And I think, I think the fact that it's, I mean, the fact that it's, it's so lame in a certain way makes it hard to take seriously. Like, the, I mean, you know, if the content, you know, they're still at the stage of just sort of dismissing the content as, as, as trash without understanding the 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 importance of what's actually happening i mean the kind of you know i think there's an ambition to 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 move much more towards what hungary is doing and a kind of uh and a kind of reorganization of uh cultural organizations as kind of organs of propaganda organs of the state and of a kind of official culture that will be to do with the family and the church and uh and the and the valorization of of tradition and i don't i mean you know i i i i did not see a kind of full-throated uh riposte to that or a kind of assertion of a a left culture or even a kind of liberal culture i you know i just i just saw quite a lot of sneering about the fact that trashy fantasy art is in the national art gallery um and that that concerns me because I think I think they they are maybe going to be slow in order to understand what it will really mean. I think that I I mean I guess if the new Biennale director makes some makes some big moves and suddenly I don't know we've got a giant crucifix above the the Biennale or something, then then you know everybody will will take notice at that point. But um, yeah. you know there's a sort of drip drip of of 
of things of kind of new cultural bureaucrats being moved in and you know certain people will be frozen out certain kinds of art will be frozen out certain priorities especially kind of work about you know recontextualizing uh museum holdings to do with colonialism for example i mean i think that there was a there's been a move to kind of re to try and understand what happened in ethiopia and, and libya and what uh, back in and, and i think that will be rolled back for example I want to interject here because I think reviewing this clip that Kunzru makes an incredibly important point. Remember Gianni Alemano, that fascist youth organizer who recalled the Hobbit camps and later became mayor of Rome? Well, he split up with Rauti in the 1990s to join the Alianza Nazionale, and from there he joined the Fratelli d'Italia. It's sort of important to the history of the three Hobbit camps that he recalls that they started fully Raoutian, turned toward the competing institutionalist faction, and then ended in a kind of compromise from which the Italian new right develops than a national popular tendency. And it's this tendency in which we find Alemano rising to the position of mayor of Rome, and then his party, Fratelli d'Italia, moving into power under Giorgio Meloni. The national popular tendency, general aligned with uh, Orban's methods has yet to be fully understood by scholars of the far right, including myself, but its involvement in the so-called culture wars are hugely important. So I asked Kunzru earlier in our, our discussion about the idea of cultural hegemony, which he writes of as a concept often deployed by Maloney's political party. Well, I mean, I think the phrase cultural hegemony turns up again and again in the rhetoric of these quite senior, you know, and now quite mainstream Italian politicians associated with the Fratelli d'Italia, which I suppose is, is just a, a testament to how strong the uh, influence of, of Gramsci is still, you know, on how Italians think about politics. I mean, the, you know, the Gramscian idea is that is that cultural hegemony is part of the war of position, which has to take place before an actual kind of revolutionary war of maneuver can happen. And, you know, that it's a sort of part of a, um, you know, if you're a revolutionary, and I think they still kind of see themselves in that way as, as, as revolutionaries against a kind of globalist bourgeois hegemony, um, you know, you have to try and kind of make a counterculture. You have to try and create the grounds by which people will understand themselves to be oppressed and so on before they can kind of move forward to a, to revolutionary action. And, um, you know, judging by the kind of public statements and the kind of triumphalist rhetoric around putting this, you know, rather kind of, it's not a very good show, I suppose, is one thing to say, this kind of a sort of rather weak show about J.R.R. Tolkien into this very prestigious National Art Museum. They feel it's a huge blow that they've broken open some kind of space that wasn't uh, available to them before and that Tolkien is one of, is part of their culture and that they, by almost like physically placing him within this space that's more you know usually shows uh you know post-war contemporary art you know trans avanguardia various um you know difficult conceptual art in you know, art associated i suppose with you know if not the political left then certainly not the traditionalist right that they feel that they've um they've scored a victory and um 
the Fratelli d'Italia have a cultural program that part of their manifesto is called something something like cultural renaissance and they talk about the sort of things you'd expect about a kind of respect for Italian tradition and the history of art in Italy and so on but they also they strike a few culture war notes about um, pushing back against woke culture and uh, and against iconoclasm I mean I think there was an incident where a statue of a of uh, a, a fascist Italian journalist was defaced in in Milan uh, a year or two ago, um, and you know they saw they saw that because of his uh, his involvement in uh, colonial activities in Eritrea. I'm just trying to find his name, Indra Mon- Montanelli. Indra Montanelli was, of course, a leading Italian journalist during the Anni di Piombo, who split off from the Corriere della Sera to start his Giornale Nuovo, due to his feeling that the Corriere had gotten soft and was no longer doing real reporting. Montanelli was later shot in the legs by the Brigate Rosse during their bloody acceleration of violence from 1976 to 1977, during their campaign against what they termed the bourgeois press. Former Lotta Continua journalist Giampiero Mughini stated that his kneecapping brought Montanelli from one of the most disliked journalists to the paragon of Italian journalism over the course of just a few days. So here, the Maloney government's defense of Montanelli's statue would likely gain the support of liberals against leftists despite his abysmal record of behavior during the fascist 20 years. The other point to make here is that Despite having been a fascist, after the war, Montanelli was not a fascist and turned into the sort of arbiter of objectivity in journalism. So he wouldn't necessarily be a hero for the fascists to embrace or defend until Maloney. I mean, Montanelli, I mean, wouldn't seem to be somebody you'd necessarily want to stick your neck out to defend as a as a sitting prime minister. But clearly, you know, they they have that sense around this i don't know the symbols of italian colonialism that people in this this south of the u.s have about confederate uh figures maybe i don't i don't know if that's a good an accurate analogy but uh, you know certainly uh the maloney government is interested in interested in pushing back against any kind of uh negative reappraisal of italian history and culture This represents one of the most interesting and paradigmatic cultural contests today, in my opinion, because you see Maloney defending Indro Montanelli on the basis of colonialism from the left, who repudiates him for the same reasons, whereas Montanelli, after the war, became a staunch critic of political corruption who expressed very little sympathy for the Movimento Sociale and became a kind of darling of a would-be liberal center. This sort of factional breakdown that enables Maloney to dominate a cultural scene in support of colonialism based on her defense of an ostensibly liberal journalist with a fascist past really indicates the way that the old presuppositions and compromises that constructed Italian political life during the late 20th century have broken down. And Kunzru tells me, in this way, the heirs to the Italian social movement can act still like political outsiders on a cultural level, even though they run the government. I mean, they definitely definitely see themselves as outsiders. I mean, I think that's that's really, it's really apparent when you listen to them talking. You know, I mean, their program is to replace a lot of what 
figures in the cultural sphere that they see as kind of globalist like they're replacing foreign born museum directors with Italians and there's this controversial new uh head of the the Venice Biennale um Pietrangelo Botafuoco who is a former youth um uh, of Sociale d'Italia activist and uh he's come in with a with a kind of explicit uh, mission to reorientate Venice around uh, around the cultural priorities of of the new government, and they're all working towards um, the Catholic the Jubilee in 2025, which is going to be this this massive uh, uh, kind of uh, celebration of 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 Rome as the site of the birth of Christianity or the you know the uh, and the Catholic Church. So there's I actually don't know why 2025 is 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 the date but it's a particular anniversary in the catholic church maybe you you know that but anyway they they they've got a lot of programming working towards that so this is this going to be this moment of renaissance and this kind of uh uh reconnection with uh with tradition so are they hobbits are they gladiators are they celtic warriors or are they christian crusaders perhaps they're all of these in their own minds And this is what's so interesting about the cultural competition in Italy. It's all about grabbing as much territory as one can for one's political cause and holding ground against the bad guys. Kuntru went back to the 1970s to talk about how some of the liberal opponents to fascism criticized this opportunistic and possessive approach to cultural markers. I mean, back in back in the 70s, when the initial fight about uh, a Tolkien was 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 raging like Umberto Eco was accusing Catabiani of being a kind of, of using Tolkien as a kind of Trojan horse like and I think that's what they're doing now like I mean the you know the the, the, the Eco's argument back then was that this is you know, a nice fancy story a bit of you know medievalism being used as a way to launder much more extreme ideas into the cultural mainstream and you know and I guess in the same way like this is a this is a wedge you know, for 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 a set of uh, a set of policies and and kind of cultural ideas that, you know, I mean whether whether they can take it any further. I mean, they haven't. I don't know who's who would their next. I can't see them doing a Lovecraft show. Um, you know, I don't know. I don't know who they'd be who they'd be kind of moving into these spaces and trying to trying to promote as part of their of their canon i think it's it may be that it's you know only tolkien has the legs to really kind of uh you know have this this sort of impact oh it's julio cesare it's gotta <laughs> be the big dog it's, uh-huh. gotta be, it's gotta be julius caesar he's next he's next up anyway <laughs> on that note thank you so much for your time and for talking about this weird stuff uh with with uh with me and the podcast uh it's really a pleasure to speak with you uh again i really enjoy your work and um this article is excellent you should everybody should read it it's in the march issue of um harper's magazine great thanks so much for having me on a real pleasure to to talk over this with you 